Welcome to Illness with Influence, a brand new series from Have a Cuppa Unmasked, the podcast dedicated to raising awareness of invisible illnesses. This series, I talk to guests who have become champions of their own industries, but all with one thing in common, an invisible illness, showing you it can be done. All is not lost. You can still achieve your dreams. Come on, let's raise inspiration, not stigma. So sit back, grab a cuppa and get ready to be inspired. Hey everyone and welcome back to another podcast episode with me and I'm going to get straight on in there today because we've got the wonderful Erin Judge. Hi, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing well. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for coming on. Do you want to introduce yourself to everyone? Yeah, so I'm Erin. I am a registered dietitian based out of Nashville, Tennessee in the United States. And I um, own a private practice called Getivate, which is a virtual practice for IBS. So we work with women who have irritable bowel syndrome, SIBO, other digestive disorders, either in a one-to-one or a group format. I love that. And, and so what kind of made you you go into this specific um, dietitian practice for, for IBS. Is it something you've always been interested in, being a dietitian and, and nutrition? How have you got to where you are? Yeah, so my story started as a kid. Um, whenever I was in, I think, first or second grade, I started having these extreme digestive issues. I was in pain. I was in and out of the hospital. Um, They thought I had gallbladder issues. I wasn't gaining weight. They thought it could have been something more serious. And um, after a few years of getting tests and being just in and out of the hospital constantly, um, I got the diagnosis of IBS. So that was around fourth grade. And after that, they didn't really do anything. So I remember getting, you know, enemas and laxatives and, and things like that. But we never really got guidance on you know, what to do about it. And so I went through puberty, I went through high school, and then went into college without an understanding of what was going on in my body. So I began to accept the symptoms I dealt with as normal, but I had extreme fear of going to the bathroom in public. Um, one of my biggest fears of college was sharing a dorm room and sharing a bathroom with other women. I thought, honestly, I would never be able to have a, a good bowel movement. Um, and that was something that terrified me. And so in college, um, whenever I began studying nutrition, I actually never knew that studying nutrition would have an impact on me personally like it did. I was, you know, knee deep in disordered eating at that time because I'd gained some weight, you know, mm-hmm. at that stage of my life. And I was dieting and exercising and nutrition really stuck out to me. And I began applying things in a diet way. But then whenever we began getting into some of the, we call it medical nutrition therapy, that's where we start talking about different conditions or disease states. I actually learned about IBS really for the first time. So I remember I had the diagnosis um, and I actually had a flare in college that sent me, you know, back to the doctor because I thought I had like a stomach bug or I thought something was seriously wrong and it was, you know, just my IBS. And so whenever I began hearing these strategies that were out there for IBS, and I began understanding digestion and metabolism and how the body works, um, I, I started applying it to myself. And I never thought in those days that I would take that into a practice. I, yeah. I love community nutrition. I, I thought I wanted to work in nonprofit and you know mm-hmm. one day I might end up back there again, but I, I really loved how I was applying it personally. And so 
in my training, I was gravitating towards microbiome research. I was gravitating towards anything that had to do with the gut. That's what I did all my specialty, um, you know, pro programs and things yeah. during my internship on um, any kind of, you know, like a conference that I went to, I would always go to those rooms and talk to those people and get their research and dig so deep into it because I knew that it was fascinating for me personally and something that I could, uh, I could apply and, and really get value from. And so after about five years or so of, you know, training to become a dietitian and learning all of these different strategies, mm -hmm. it all came together for me almost accidentally. I began applying things you know, based on, I, I was really into mindfulness for a time. I'm more of a plant-based eater. That was an ethical thing that I was um, knee deep into and traveled overseas and learned some different things. And it just all came together and, and hit me um, whenever I started my practice and began focusing on, okay, who do I want to serve? I realized that I learned how to manage my condition through these strategies. And it what I learned wasn't what was being taught. And so I knew that I could connect to the woman with IBS because I'm her. Um, and I knew that I had strategies that I could really, you know, see improvement with. And so I've decided to just like narrow down and <laughs> my Instagram account became all about IBS. And now, you know, three years later, I have a very successful practice and have worked with hundreds of women. And uh, it's, incredible to see how far things have come just based on that personal experience that's huge and i mean hats off to you for doing that that's incredible and so inspiring to not only myself but everyone listening as well and the thing that i really want to know is did you ever because you've got ibs at such a young age obviously you kind of just grew up with it and you were just a little bit i know you mentioned you just kind of was like well it's just that's my normal, that is what it is, you know, and you just learn to deal with it, um, probably because you were so young. But did you ever get any stigma from it? Or was it just all sort of internal fear and anxiety um, around those issues you spoke about? Yeah, so as a young kid, um, I, I dealt with a lot of insecurities. And I, I'm a highly anxious person, even now, it's something that I have to be so intentional about, which is likely linked to my IBS. And honestly, I think my IBS, it came from a foodborne illness, they linked, but I also think it came from some things that my family, my dad had a chronic illness. And so he was in the hospital most of my childhood. And there's a lot of, you know, insecurities that come out of that, or, you know, fear, lack of safety, you know, those types of things um, that I deal with even now. But as a kid, um, I grew up in a, a community that didn't have many resources, and so we didn't really talk about issues that were going on. Um, and so whenever I was young, I didn't even know to talk about what was happening. And the only reason we even got tests done because I, you know, I was crying on the floor in pain. So I had to get to that level of extreme pain. So after my diagnosis, somehow the pain subsided for the most part. It wasn't an everyday thing but the constipation was the more predominant issue. And I just remember feeling a lot of shame personally about it. So no one knew that I was having issues. I never shared it with anyone else. Yeah. Nobody understood except my family, you know, what was really going on. Um, my pre, you know, cheerleading squad, like we didn't know, um, they didn't know that I was at the camp, you know, crying almost because I couldn't go to the bathroom and yeah. bloated and, you know, uncomfortable but I think I had the stigma to myself that you know something's wrong with me and 
I just chalked it up to like, oh, I'm bloated. My clothes aren't fitting. Like, you know, that's just my problem. I must be eating too much. You know, I, I really pulled into the diet side of it. I didn't actually realize that the condition that I had been diagnosed with was part of it and that there were solutions. And whenever I got a little bit older, so whenever I got into college and, and really understood it, even though I was in the medical, you know, training and field, and I did understand a lot of what it was, that's where I think I understood the stigma that was around it. Yeah. So that's whenever I began to hear, you know, the jokes on TV where they laugh about someone with IBS yeah. or it's something that you just throw around and lactose intolerance and you laugh at how people are, you know, in the bathroom for hours because of it. And whenever I began to see that, because I was already so insecure in who I was at the time, and I already had that really big disconnect with my own body, those jokes and, and that, you know, awareness that I finally began to find, um, that was whenever I began to see the stigma. And so I actually did not want to share um, I didn't share much about my IBS, most of my training, even in, you know, doing all of that research and diving deep into that, that community in the medical world, I didn't share my personal story. And when I did decide to, to focus on that in my practice, I wasn't quite there. I was definitely more secure in myself and more confident in who I was and, you know, it took years to get there as an yeah. adult. Um, but I wasn't really that secure in my IBS. And so it took probably a year of you know, getting out there and sharing it and talking about it online. And what really helped the most was learning that there were so many other people who were dying to have someone tell them that they were heard and that they were understood and they wanted to be able to learn about it without there being a joke about it, you know? Yeah. And so um, whenever I learned, yeah, yeah, I saw that and I was like, okay, well, I have to do this. Um, but I had to battle a lot of my own insecurities in the mm -hmm. process. And even to this day, I talk about poop all day long <laughs> and I love talking about it with my clients. Um, but it's not something that I'm going to just bring up at the dinner table. Yeah, and exactly. yeah, yeah, I'm not someone who is just going to share all of that. And it's still t embarrassing in some ways. Yeah. And so I think we're all growing in that for sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And so for someone who maybe really struggling to get a diagnosis but just has that gut instinct like we all do that you know we know our bodies best and although we're not medically trained we know when something's wrong but we just don't know what it is and we don't know how to communicate so for someone who mm -hmm. is in that position and maybe listening to this going oh my gosh yes I totally get all of this but I'm just not getting a diagnosis it's not getting seen I'm not getting heard by doctors what would you, what advice would you give? What would you give that, that woman? Yeah. So that's loaded. And I have a full blog on this that could be helpful at getevate.com. Um, and it goes into the tests you can ask for, how to keep a log, how to translate that log to your provider, how to prepare for that appointment, you know, those strategies, because that's important. Um, because with IBS, because there is so much of an emotional tie to it, and there's a I think we all have some lack of understanding of what's normal. And if you've yeah. lived with something for a long period of time, like I have, and it wasn't a drastic change, but it was something that's been present for most of your life, mm -hmm. it can be hard to differentiate between what is normal and what is not normal. What details do I bring up? Yeah. You know, how do I communicate this? So I'm not just told like, oh, you, you need to not stress out or, yeah. you know, that those different things that people will say whenever you know that the pain you're feeling is so severe 
um, but it's hard to explain sometimes. So I have some strategies for that on that blog that I think is helpful. But one thing I would say is there, there's a better understanding of IBS now than there ever has been. We've learned so much about the microbiome and as a medical community, um, we're, we're digging deeper into IBS. So I think we're even going to understand more on the, on the next you know, side of this year and two years because there's so much being researched even now. There are still some providers that are stuck in that five to 10 years ago world that may not understand it because they may not be up to date on it, or it may not be something that they focus on. Mm-hmm. And that's not their fault. I guess it kind of is. I know we're as health providers, we should be up to date, yeah. um, but you only know what you know. And yeah. while they may know a lot, they, they may be missing something mm-hmm. um, in terms of being really high up to date. And so one thing I would say is vet your people on the front end. Like it's okay to call a doctor's office that you got a referral to and just say, Hey, you know, I think that I may have IBS. What can I bring and prepare for that conversation? Or is this something that you're, you're willing to have a conversation with me about? And you can gauge, you know, how somebody is going to act based on how they handle that first phone call. And that's a good way to maybe save time and money on the front end. Um, what you can also do is if you go to a, a provider or you've had a provider in the past that maybe hasn't taken it seriously and um, hasn't listened or given you the right diagnosis mm-hmm. or um, has just kind of brushed it off or hasn't given resources, it's okay to find another. And this can get pricey, right, with all the copays, and I understand that can be so frustrating. Um, it's also worth it to find that provider that's going to be valuable and be an asset and be someone in your corner. Because with IBS, we do know that there can be misdiagnoses. And as much as, you know, we, a lot of people with IBS just want to not go to the doctor, right? We don't want to have to go to the gastroenterologist anymore. We just want to deal, like, we want to be able to like move forward on our own. Um, the, The role of the gastroenterologist is to continue like staying in touch and looking for signs of something else that could be going on and really keeping up with that with you so that you know that long-term you've got an eye on it. And if things do change, you've got someone who understands you well and is there um, to be able to dig deeper with you. So um, all that to say is, you know, make sure you're vetting people on the front end. If you can try to get referrals, Uh, the value of communities like Instagram and like Facebook groups. And uh, we have a Facebook group, but you can go in and ask, say, Hey, I'm, I'm in Arizona and I'm willing to drive as far as I need to drive. So like, is there a gastroenterologist that's really great that takes this insurance? Like you can ask those things to communities and you never know what kind of person you'll find. And then if you've gone through it before, like don't keep going back to the same person that you don't feel is taking you seriously. Um, you know, request to see someone new because you have autonomy in your own healthcare. And just because that one person is who you've been with from the start, um, you can go to someone different. And, um, you know, if you have that ability with the area that you're in or within your insurance coverage, then definitely try um, because it is so helpful to have a doctor that is truly listening. Totally. Totally. I love that. And oh my gosh, I got so much from that. That was amazing. And in terms of, um, because I know that when you get on top of all of these things and when you really start to get control of your IBS and of your condition and all of this, it brings so much confidence to you as a woman, can't it? So how important and how much difference does it make for, for clients that you've had when you see the confidence coming back? How much difference does it make to their life as a whole? It's completely life-changing. And 
Um, I'll start, I can't tear up because I have to go take photos after this. Um, so I had to keep that in. I honestly, seeing the things that my clients are able to do, I have clients who come to me, you know, wanting to start a family and terrified because of their condition and they're able to, you know, pursue that for the first time. I have clients who, um, I have a client right now who, you know, was graduating college and knew that she would not be able to go, you know, seek a job or do a master's program yet and had to take time off. Um, and now she's, you know, working a job she loves and is enrolled in her master's program to pursue something that she's really passionate about and she can fully focus on it. Um, you know, I have those, the, my clients who are showing up better for their families. And one thing that we do in our practice and something that I'm so passionate about because of my own experience and because I know what it's like mm -hmm. is we work on maintaining a healthy relationship with yourself and learning how to be compassionate towards oneself and understanding the role of self-care. And we talk about how, you know, it's not fair that IBS means that you have to stay on top of all of these things. Like it's not fair at all. Um, it is a gift that you're able to focus on those things. And so what my clients get is not just, you know, knowing their trigger foods and being able to keep symptoms down and, you know, all of those things are incredible. Uh, what they get more than that is they understand how to listen to their bodies. Yeah. They understand how to take care of themselves when things don't go as well. Like if they're stressed or there's, you know, trauma or grief or something going on in the environment, or if they eat a food that they love, um, maybe eat more of it than what their body can handle and they have a yeah. flare. My clients know how to handle those situations um, with kindness. Mm. And that is usually what I hear being the, the biggest takeaway. Um, and that's something that I honestly keeps me going because it's not easy <laughs> working in this area is yeah. hard. Um, but those moments when we finally hit that breakthrough are so powerful and worth it. Exactly. And I bet, I bet your clients are just so grateful to you and, and your support. And, and, and is that really the sort of um, relationship that you have? For some people listening, they might not have ever had a dietitian or a nutritionist and they might not know exactly what the relationship is like. So is it are you there to kind of guide and support and encourage, but also be a, be an accountability partner? Absolutely, yes. So dietitians work in many different ways, and we work in a an unconventional model. So we don't work within the parameters of insurance. So we don't bill our time in that way. And um, the reason why I set my practice up to do that was to really be able to to have the freedom to be accessible to the people that I work with. Yeah. So. I don't work with, you know, 100 people at a time. I usually work with 10 to 15 at a time um, because I want to make sure that I can touch base with them every single week. I'm looking at their log. I'm keeping up with what's going on. I'm there to answer questions. Um, I care so much. And so in our calls, you know, I, I'm there to listen. I'm there to provide referrals and resources and um, I'm, I'm giving my all to them because I have the time and the ability to do that. And I, I, I set it up that way with so much intention because I knew what it would take. And I don't know how there's any other way to do it than to be that hands-on. And I mean, I help my clients prepare for doctor's appointments and we set up their piece of paper that they take in. I help them, you know, prepare for trips that they're taking that are fearful and help 
them prepare for having their baby. And, you know, I help my clients do a lot more than just change their diet. Um, And then anything out of my scope, I take the time to find a a good referral and find other resources that they can use because I know how valuable it is to be connected to the right people with the right resources and guidance. I love that. I love that. That that fills me with so much joy just listening to mm-hmm. that. Um, and and just finally, um, before we we find out how how to get in touch with you and how to even, you know, reach out for a consultation or anything like that, how important is it to beat the stigma of IBS? It's so important. Um, it's important to talk about it. It's important to have those conversations and. Um, be able to shed light on the reality of what it's like to live with it. And I think as we learn more, it's going to be helpful because I think there's going to be better testing available and there's going to be a better understood reason of why things are happening. And I think that is going to help a lot. But even until then, um, you know, 15% of the population that we know of has IBS. Um, I can attest to the minute I started sharing about it on even social media, People who I've been around my entire life started coming to me saying that they experienced similar things. And so most people with IBS are living in so much isolation. And if you've had IBS or had, you know, any kind of digestive disorder or GI condition, then you know what that feels like to feel lonely and misunderstood and feeling like, you know, no one gets it, right? No one is feeling that either. And the minute that you're able to make a connection with somebody one, you're getting them out of that place, mm-hmm. but then that also pulls you out of that place and you're able to have somebody to, to talk about it with and someone that can encourage you. And um, that's, to me, the most valuable piece. And the people who don't have IBS, you know, they may never understand what it's like and that's okay. And there's still going to, you know, still going to be jokes and there's still going to be a lot of things out there that aren't very kind towards the IBS community. There's still going to be people saying, you know, it's not real and it's in your head and that's going to exist. But the more that we are able to communicate as a community about what we are experiencing and validating one another's experiences, then I think as a whole, we're all going to be empowered to have that autonomy in our healthcare and to be able to take those with a grain of salt and let them go because we know that we have people that get it and are there for us or we're going to be able to deal with those bad days um, a lot more successfully and with a lot more hope. And so, yes, I would say destigmatize, like surround yourself with people who are talking about it um, in a way that works for you and if it's through memes that people share great if it's through emotional content great for me if it's through educational content great um find people that you can connect with and and build that community i love that and i i particularly love uh the saying that you said the communicate as a community i love that i think that's so Mm -hmm. powerful and so strong so Go on, tell us all. We're all dying to know. How can we get in touch with you? Because your Instagram is just insane. I just, I love following your Instagram. So, but I'm sure there's many other ways to get in touch. And if, if anyone is listening, wondering how they could maybe get you as a, a dietitian or as a coach, then how can, how's mm-hmm. best for people to get in touch? Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. So I am on Instagram at erinjudge.rd. I'm also everywhere else. So our company is Gutivate, like activate, but with a gut. So Gutivate. So Gutivate.com. 
Um, we have a podcast in YouTube, The Gut Show, and we also have a Facebook group called The Gut Community that you can request to join. Um, so there's lots of ways to get connected to us in our practice. And we, um, we are taking new clients. We have a team now, and so we are taking new clients. And so if you go to gutevate.com, you'll find that information. And we also are really connected, so we are able to provide referrals and happy to do so. Amazing. I love that. And don't worry, anyone listening, it will be, as always, it will be in the description below. So direct links to everything that Erin just mentioned will be below. Thank you so much for coming on. I could have talked to you for hours and hours and hours. Um, it's been such a pleasure to have you on and um, and I'm sure it's been incredibly valuable for everyone listening. So thank you so much for um, inspiring me and inspiring everyone else that, you know, getting a diagnosis of IBS does not mean that your life is over you can still go mm -hmm. and do stuff and you can still go and inspire and help others as well so thanks so much yes thank you so much for having me thank you for listening to another episode of illness with influence if you love this episode then why not share it with your friends and family tagging myself at helena.m.mitchell so i can personally say thank you and don't forget to check out our other episodes in this series or hop onto our private facebook community group have a cuppa unmasked for continued support from a community of like-minded people but until next time stay safe stay strong and remember you are not alone.